0: About three weeks ago, I was sitting in my barber's chair. I go to uh, Brick City Barber's here in St. John. My friend, Bubby, uh, he runs that that barber shop, and he's also on my men's league basketball team, and we were talking about the fact that we were recently crowned St. John men's league champions. No big deal. Um, (laughs) Facts. Uh, You know what? I was thinking about this. In January, I felt the Lord say, this is going to be a winning season. And, and I declared that over our church. And guess what? At least we won the St. John City League Championship. And now we're the Eastern Conference champions, the Toronto Raptors winning season. Yeah, I don't think God meant sports, but anyway, I'll take it. Um, and we're sitting there and we're talking and we're just chatting about basketball and stuff. And, and uh, at one point, somebody, one of the barbers down the, the row just just cried out an expletive. Just, just, they just swore really loud, which is generally not something you want to hear when you're getting your hair cut. Um, and what happened though, happens to me all the time, because more and more people know uh, that I'm a pastor, and so I can't really hide that anymore. It's kind of out there. And all of a sudden, all the focus just turns to me in the whole barber shop. They're like, ooh, you know? And then one of them made some comment about, oh. They they swore again, the pastor's here, Uh, I better clean up my language. I don't want to go to hell, you know. And I found myself in a usual precarious situation where I am having to explain to them and torpedo a mindset that they they thought that somehow if I drop the F-bomb, that's going to impede my entrance into heaven. And then if I don't, then I'm going to go to heaven. So I, I had to help them and begin to tell them, hey, listen, actually the foundationally we believe as Christians, you know, we don't, we don't believe we go to heaven based on our works, what we do or don't do. In fact, the only reason you have one answer to get into heaven, it's Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose for my life and here I am. That's it. And so I help them with that. It happens all the time though, where I'll find myself in these conversations with people and, and I'm, I'm scratching my head thinking, who told you that God was like that? where did you come up with that idea it happens to you it's part of the nature of being a pastor but i imagine it's happened to you too as just as a christian whenever i go golfing as like me and my friend will go golfing and we'll get matched up with two strangers and by the 13th or 14th hole they'll, they'll they'll then ask the question so uh what do you do man and i'll i'll tell them you don't want to know <laughs> and i'll no, no, what do you do and i'm like i'm a preacher And then it goes radio silence for the next, like, three holes while they think about what they said. (laughs) And I then have to, again, help them. Hey, like, I don't know who told you... That, that, that your language is the thing that keeps you in and out of heaven. Like, like, I don't know where you got that idea. Nothing could be further. It's like every year at Easter and Christmas, this, this influx of people that come because they have some concept of God that if I go to church on Easter, then somehow I'm gonna get them off my back and might get to go to heaven when I die. This is, this is just inaccurate. It's not true. It's that's, that's, that's not founded in this book. It's not in the Word. There's no authoritative principles that have actually gone into that ideology. And so over and over again, I'm so often confronting framework and mindset and paradigms that, 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 aren't, that aren't biblical. And I, and I ask the question, where did you come up with that? Like you ever... You ever been to a funeral where you just, you just hear people like, especially funerals of families who maybe are agnostic or even atheist, all of a sudden at funerals, everyone's a theologian. (laughs) You ever notice that? And they just start like spouting off these broad stroke, existential, metaphysical, philosophical, theological statements that they really haven't thought through other than I'm feeling this right now and this is what I think. You know, like some of the, let me just be honest right now, some of the dumbest stuff is said at funerals. <laughs> for real, y'all. Like, like, you know what? We had a great day. Uh, I think that somehow grandma, she got her wings and she flew to heaven and she somehow made the sunshine today for her committal. Like, what? Where do you even get that stuff? And so I've had this increasing desire to actually, for us as a church, because I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in you, that a lot of the time the concepts that we have of God and the thinking surrounding who he is isn't actually formed by anything authoritative. It's formed by our lifestyle or our opinions or our relationships, that there are things going into our concept of God that aren't God at all, and it's actually imperative that we figure this out. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to have a discussion around no God and, and try to discover the God that we want to know versus gods that are no God at all. And that sometimes the God that we think we know is actually no God at all. And we have been deceived or duped into worshiping something that is not the true and one holy God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to do this together. And and today, I really want to just begin by creating some framework. And so we're really not going to get into the nature of God, but we're going to talk today about how we even begin this conversation about trying to wrap our heads around the eternal, unknowable, omnipotent God. Like, how do you even do such an impossible task? And so today, we're going to build some framework. We're going to ask the question, how do I formulate my idea of God. And then as the weeks proceed, we're gonna start to explore who he is. But for today, what I wanna do is I wanna just kind of help us look toward four things that we need to know, uh, directives, directions to apply as it it pertains to us creating or crafting or developing our idea of God. Four things that are gonna help us before we even start when we get thinking about God, directions to apply. And then I wanna look at for no gods, things and powers in this world that influence and deceive us for deceptions to avoid that we are often caught up worshiping and we don't even know it. And so today I want to look at this and I'm going to start and I already said it. When we begin to talk about God, and this is going to be a series that you really need to lean in. I, I know we're, we're in June. The people that want to be here are here. The, 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 the outer layer is already gone for the summer. So y'all are here. You're going to lean in, and we're going to learn some stuff. This is a good series to take notes because this is foundational stuff. And, and we're going to learn first and foremost when we get talking about theology, the first thing we need to be thinking when we get thinking about these things is that what we're talking about here is imperative, This is actually an an imperative discussion that everybody has. This is, I would, at the risk of sounding like I'm overhyping this series. This is, this discussion of who God is and theology is actually the most important conversation that you're gonna have with God. It's gonna be actually the most important dialogue that you have in trying to figure out the most important question of the universe. Here's something you need to know to be true. Right now, Every single one of you have a formed theology. What's theology? Just so we're on on track here. Theology is the study of God. And every single person breathing has a theology. And some, maybe there's an atheist here. He's like, no, I don't. There is no God. There's your theology. You have an idea of the highest power in the universe. Everybody has a high power. And theology essentially is discovering that high power. And so you have to know from the beginning that all of us have a theology, every single person, no matter what you are. The question is, what is that theology? And then along with that question, here's the more important thing you have to realize and why this is so imperative. It's imperative because you currently are living your life squarely within the confines of your theology. Let me say it another way. Your theology is the framework by which you are currently living. It is the number one driving influencer in your decisions, your values, the things you hold important, the things that you you strive for, your your, your concerns, all those things is actually the byproduct of your theology. A guy named A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite Christian authors in one of my top five favorite books of all time called The Knowledge of the Holy, he said it like this. He says it way more eloquent than I can, but it helps us understand the point about how imperative this is. He says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most pretentious or important, again, fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do. That's secondary he's saying. But here's the most important thing. What he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. That's the most important thing, your conception of God. Here's why. Because we tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So in other words, he's saying how you live your life, whether you realize it or not, whether you've consciously thought about theology or not, whether you've ever given any thought into who God is, you are currently living. There is a gravitational pull in your soul that is living toward and from your idea of God. It's just a fact. You will live according to your idea of God. You are right now. And that the fruit of your life will represent it. The decisions will represent it. How you live will represent your theology. I, I was th- I thought of this one time. Uh, my friend Anthony and I were uptown in Saint John, and we were we were street evangelizing. We were just going around to see if anyone would, wanted to talk about Jesus. And so I came up to this guy, and uh, he looked he looked like he just like walked out of the the, like, the hookah shop, right? Like the he had the dreads, and he had like I'm pretty sure he was wearing burlap. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he made his own clothes and he was just like stereotypically earthy like a crystal around his chest and like a marijuana earring and like all that like just super earthy and so I go up to him like hey man uh, and I started to ask him to tell him about Jesus and, and he goes oh yeah Jesus Jesus is awesome bro I'm like yeah and like you believe in Jesus yeah man I love Jesus I'm like awesome me too he's like yeah Jesus is great Muhammad's great Buddha's great. The universe, man. It's all good. Right? And he was clearly enjoying parts and plants from the universe. Um, And I left there thinking like, you're living your life according to your idea of who God is. You think it's all good. You are currently you. Right now, whether you thought, thought of it or not, you at West Campus, you at Halifax, you are right now living your life squarely in the confines of this. And, and this is why it's so imperative. It's because it's a fact that is driving your life. And here's, here's the, the, the kicker. It will drive your life both now and forever and ever and ever. So it's absolutely crucial we get this right. This is why Jesus ends his most significant talk ever. He ends his most significant talk with this. He says, listen to what I've just told you. I've told you that in this world, there are people who come clothed in sheep's clothing and and ideas that come that look good on the outside, but in the inside, they're absolute lies that will devour you. Beware of them. He said, look, there's going to be a wide gate, a wide road, and it's going to look so inviting and obvious. We're all just going to stroll down that road. And he says, no, you've got to beware of that. Like the proverb says, wide is the road. Or the proverb says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. Jesus says, wide is the path to destruction. It's just obvious. You walk down, and he says, you've got to narrow your focus. You've got to actually work this thing in and drive down your thinking to get to the truth because it's the truth that brings freedom and it's the truth that brings life. And he says, this is way too important for you to just eyeball. He says, you've got to actually work this thing out. And then he goes on and he, and he, says, he says something chilling. He, he talks about how there are people who even think that they know me and they never knew me and I'm gonna send them away. And then he ends the whole thing and he says, look, take it like this. You have a life. Visualize your life like a house. And some people are just haphazardly building their house wherever. Do not do that because if you just build it wherever, it is going to crash down. But if you, he says, build on the rock, that thing will stand now and forever and ever. This is why it's imperative. This is the great question of your whole life. It's, it actually sets up how you live now and forever. It's the number one thing that drives your decisions. This is why in the early church, do you know the number one thing thing going on, the number one battle and the number one war of the early church was? It wasn't their behavior. I know if you read like Corinthians, if you ever read Corinthians and you feel like, you know, our church has some issues, read Corinthians. It's very encouraging. Um, train wreck. Anybody who comes to you says, we need to go back to the way the early church was. Uh, you didn't read your Bible, man. Super messed. Like he's, he's dealing with really, really easy things like, hey, don't sleep with your mom. Crazy, right? But if you read through this, like you read the the start of the New Testament, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What is that? Those are the four gospels. Those are the stories about what Jesus did, how he became king of everything and Lord of all the earth, our savior. And then you read the book of Acts. Acts is the picture of what happens when the people of God take the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and the gospel begins to go out to the ends of the earth as Jesus said, said it would. But then once you turn from the book of Acts and you get into Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you just keep going, All of those are letters from Paul to Christians doing what? Not correcting their behavior. He's correcting their thinking. He's hitting them up with theology saying, no, you're saying this. God is like this. You're saying the gospel is this. No, the gospel is this. Why is he fighting that fight? Because he knows that your actions are the byproduct of your thinking. And that if you can get this thing right, if you can get your theology locked in right, that's gonna bring the fruit. This is what Jesus says, by the tree you'll know its fruit or by the fruit you'll know the tree. And so Paul was fighting that fight. This is why in the early church, they felt like the need for creeds. Remember creed? With arms wide open. Remember that? <laughs> can you take me higher? Ba-da-da-da-da. No. They, uh, in the early church, in the early church, remember they had these things called creeds where they would, They would send these letters. They were doctrinal, positional letters about theology, about things that they said, we cannot waver on these facts. These are the I believes. These are the ones that you are not a Christian if you don't believe these things, and we can't let that slide. And so there was so much force and so many ideologies and philosophies and theologies confronting the church at once that the leaders got together and they started writing these creeds to be passed around and recited when Christians gathered. Why? Because it framed in correct theology. And when you have have right thinking, you have right living. See, some of us try to try to work on the actions. Don't, don't do that. Work on, work on the foundations. Work on your thinking. This is why when we talk about this, and this is why I want you to take this so seriously over the next few weeks. I want you to take this seriously because this is absolutely imperative. This is not stuff to yawn through. Your life depends on this legitimately. It's imperative. Look what, look what Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy. I want to read this to us. It kind of gives us a framework to to see ourselves in it. For 2 Timothy 3, Paul said, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, its religion, having have nothing to do with these people, he says. He goes on in chapter four, he says, I give you this charge, preach the word, the truth, he says, and be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage. We don't live in a time that really loves correction and rebuke, do we? But Paul says, Paul says you have to do this. You have to get it right with great patience and careful instruction. Great patience and careful instruction. This is no, this is not something to do haphazardly. This is this is brain surgery, y'all. You don't want a brain surgeon coming in saying, "Ah, we'll eyeball it," right? He's saying with great care, because here's why: For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. He says, if you, if you don't, if you church, if you Christians don't do the work to drive down and say, no, this is what's true. If you don't do that, what's going to happen is you are gonna be drawn away into false ideologies, false gods because your desires want to hear them. Here, here's the first, first no God, and Paul uncovers it for us. The first deception to avoid. Now, I, I have four of them. There are probably more, but I think this contextualizes it for our purposes. And if we listen to, to Paul, doesn't it sound like he wrote that like this week? And if we listen to him, the first thing I think we need to think through is, and he says it, is the God of our feelings. Do you notice what, notice what he said? He said, they're going to believe what they want to hear. I, I want us to just be aware today that not one of the main deceptions and influences in our lives as we form our theology and we believe what we say is true, uh, s- oftentimes is actually feelings masquerading as the Almighty. It's actually your feelings. It's actually uh, deep desires in your soul that are forming and framing your concept of God. This is why Jesus said, "Look, wide is the path that leads to destruction. It's the one that's just so obvious. It feels right. It looks right. It should be. It seems like the way." It's the feelings. You see, this is this is I say the probably the god of our age, isn't it? Isn't it? Like think about, the, think about the, the language. Think about the creeds of our culture. You just stay true to yourself. You do you, man. It's all good. You believe your truth. I believe my truth. You know, just follow your heart. You live your truth. Are those not worshiping feelings? Paul says, beware of your feelings beware of your feelings it's, it's the it's the not to not to pick on her but it's that it's that I won't even say it it's that me god it's the god inward it's the God that is derived from how I think it should be, how I perceive things, how from my understanding, from my wants and my desires. It's, it's we consult ourselves first and then try to draw God into it. That's, that's what we're talking about here. It's putting your feelings before God and create and, and making God subject to your feelings. But here's the deal that we have got to push back against. And this is not just a culture thing. This is a thing that is in the church we have got to stand and put a stake in the ground and remind each other, accountable, remind West, remind Halifax, remind ourselves that God is not subject to my feelings. And he is not the product of my feelings. He is greater and other and above how I feel or even my understanding. We see it often in in the culture, Don't you hear often, like, you'll you'll hear it in politics. I hear it, especially if you follow American politics, you hear this all the time on both sides of the spectrum, the left and the right. You'll hear them touting God's desire for their political agenda. I've heard God's name used as an argument for pro-life and pro-choice. So where'd you get that? Because the both can't be true. Right there. Happens in the church, though, just as much so subtly, we can turn our feelings into authoritative facts, and we can use God to justify and validate how we feel. I I see it all the time. I don't think God would want me to, or I just think God told me to. Really, did he? I've seen, look, let's just be real. This is, this is going to be a real conversation over the next few weeks. I've seen Christians Use God to justify things that God clearly said otherwise. I've, I've seen two married couples, uh, two spouses, leave their other spouse and be together and then say, we feel that God has brought us together. Not in here. No, he didn't. I've heard people recently come up to me and say, You know, in Genesis 2, how God said, All this I give you, and every plant for for seed bearing fruit, and I give it for you, and you can have it. That's why I smoke pot. And when I'm high, man, I'm right there with Jesus. (laughs) It's not in here, it's what you want. And you're, you're drawing God down to say, you need to serve my feelings and I'm going to use you, God, to justify how I feel and how I think. Look, we have got to push back on what seems right to us and what seems right to the culture. This is why I have not changed my position on gender and sexuality. It's not because I don't, I don't, I don't understand the desire to see that or it doesn't make sense to me. It's because it's, I can't find it in here. Feelings do not drive who God is. God has got to be bigger than my feelings. We have to be careful when we're forming our theology to not let our powerful feelings be almighty because they're not. Number two, another, another one, and I think we get, we get pulled off into another influence, isn't just feelings, but another deception that we've got to avoid and be alert to, our our friends, our friends. You say, well, I don't worship my friends. No, 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 I'm not talking about worshiping your friends. I'm talking about deriving your concept of God through other people. It's one thing to know God, but a lot of people just know about God or they know someone who knows God. But knowing someone and knowing someone are two different things, aren't they? You, I, I experience this all the time. Like as our church has grown and we're online, hey, everybody online, uh, I'll see you at sovi's and, and you'll stare at me awkwardly and, and then you'll come up and say, hey, you're skinnier in real life, which kind of is a backhanded uh, insult, but... But this happens to me all the time because there's this one-way conversation that's happening and I tell stories about my life and you've seen my wife and my kids and you, you know, you know about me, and, but I don't know all of you. Like we don't know each other. There's, there's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. When you know somebody, you know their voice, you know what they care about, you know who they are. It's like I was thinking about this when I was in grade six. Uh, I went on a ski trip with my elementary school and my sister was in grade four. She's our creative arts director here at King's Church and she does such an awesome job. And I remember this day, uh, we, were, we were at Crab Mountain just uh, outside of Fredericton and I was at the top on the chairlift, just about to get off the chairlift and the top of the mountain and from the bottom of the mountain, the, the chairlift comes to a screeching halt and we're just kind of hanging there, right? Like you do. And I hear this blood curdling, ah! from the bottom of, the cra- of Crab Mountain. That's a mighty scream. I mean, it's not a huge mountain, but I was at the top. This was from the bottom. And I turned to my friend Mark and I go, that was my sister. <laughs> sure enough, she got her hair caught in the chairlift. <laughs> right? <laughs> when you, It's not funny, but it's funny. I, I probably laughed that day. She was fine. Uh, w- there's a difference between knowing somebody and knowing somebody, and Jesus said, look, my sheep know my voice. They know me, and he said, beware. Some of you are going to show up on the day I return, and you're going to come to me, and you're going to say, didn't we do great things? All the Christian-y stuff. We cast out demons, and we perform miracles. Like That's, that's varsity-level Navy SEAL-type Christian stuff, isn't it? That's next level. They were doing the stuff. They were talking the talk, believing the belief and all of that. And Jesus says what? He says, that's great, but I never knew you. I didn't know you. We didn't know each other. You knew about me. You sung to me. You worshiped me. You heard the preacher, but you can't know Jesus through the preacher. Some of you grew up in the Catholic church. Let me just say this. God love them, but you can't, you do not have to know God through some other person. That's what Jesus came to do. Hey, that's what Jesus came to do, to break away the separation so that you and I can actually know him. You don't do it through a priest. You can't know God through a priest. You can't know God through your mom, through your dad. Their faith is not your faith. Their relationship is not your relationship. But a lot of us really, if we look at it tight, if we look at it like objectively, a lot of us have a relationship with the church but not with the king. Or we have a relationship with somebody who has a relationship and you know him through someone who knows him. But do you know him? And a lot of us are influenced Influence. Think, some of our theology, think about this. Like, I get the luxury, I love, I love our church. And one of the things I love about our church is we have people from every background, like, like different religions represented, and we have people who are atheists, people who are agnostics, and we have people who are, who are like brought up in, in like the, the wild charismatic circus or he each a bow knocking people over, and then you have, you have people who, who were brought up in like Westboro Baptist picketing people, and like, you know, we have all these people that were from all these crazy, just wide spectrum. I love it, and we're all just kind of putting it away and saying, look, I just want Jesus But one of the things I I, I get to see all the time is so many people having to like reverse engineer things that they just accepted to be true, but but it's actually not in here. And let me just say this to you. Don't take my word for it. Anything you hear on this stage, do not just blindly say, well, if you think so, Pastor. Don't do that. Dig in for you. Look Look in the scripture. If you hear something from this stage, say, is that true? Let me see. And go online. Don't believe everything you read online. Find credible people. People, voices you can trust. You have to form a theology, not through your friends, not through your relationships. Their God is not your God, and you can't know somebody through somebody. You gotta know them yourself. That's pretty good preaching, Pastor Brian. I don't know what they're doing anyway. <laughs> Number three, here's one to avoid. I'm going to try to move quick. I probably could teach on all of these things a little more thoroughly, but another deception to avoid, another thing that can be a huge influence to us and it can kind of form our framework of God are our fears. I heard one theologian say, like the thing that you fear the most is ultimately your God. The thing that you are most concerned with the thing that you are most concerned with, the thing that you fear the most is ultimately your God. I love how Jesus said, look, in this world, here's what it's gonna be like. There are gonna be rains, which rain's a good thing, but then he says there's gonna be floods, there'll be winds, there'll be shifting sands of culture. He says those things are going to happen to you regardless. And he says you've gotta choose to not be pushed around by the elements, but to fasten yourself into the rock. But you know what I've found in my life? Many times I think I'm on the rock, but really, I'm actually worshiping the elements. I'm actually allowing the elements to push me around. What do I mean by that? Uh, Letting fear drive me. Maybe worshiping the wind. Maybe I'm really asking God, Jesus, to help me serve the the real God in the depths of my heart. Do do you know what I'm saying? Uh, Let let me say it like this. Uh, I remember I was in high school, there was a guy on the basketball team. We were out, and he was basically standing behind uh, a car, and a car came in behind him and crushed his legs between two bumpers going quite fast. And like, people thought he was going to lose his legs. And it was, it was a miracle. Like he, he didn't lose his legs. He was able to walk after a while, but he was, he was hobbled for good. And then I, I was a year ahead of him. And then my second year at Kingswood University for ministry, he shows up. To my knowledge, he wasn't a Christian or anything. And I remember saying, like, what on earth are you doing here? And, and I said, like, what, what happened? He said, well, after the accident, I was just, fear God, man. Uh, like, I, I, I thought about hell, and I don't want to go there, so, so I'm, I'm now, I'm a Christian. And about a couple years later, though, he fell off, he kind of fell off the wagon, so to speak, the, the faith was gone. And, and you know what, you know what that was? God was not his God, hell was. That's what that is. And he was wanting God to serve him as he served his ultimate God. Is this too heady for you on a Sunday morning? See, a lot of the time we think we're serving God, but in actuality, we're inviting God to help us serve our real God. That's what religion is. Religion is a set of systems that we construct to help us, to to get God to help us serve the thing we really want or we really fear. That's what the prosperity gospel is. Some of us worship the rain. God, if I be a really good person and I pray just this way, then you're going to bless me. And what I really want is not you. I just want the blessing. That's what it means. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting at. And he's saying, you know, you've got, you've got to press back against the elements and say, hey, am I worshiping the rain? Am I worshiping the wind? Am I worshiping the flood? Am I worshiping, am I, am I fastening myself to the sands of culture? Do I just go with the opinion of the day? Yeah, that seems right. We, me too. Or have you fastened your life down on the rock and said, look, I don't care what's pressing up against me. I don't care how hard these things are influencing me. Just because something is powerful, just because something is mighty does not make it almighty. And there's a power greater than this. See, some of us actually worship our fears masquerading as the one true God. One last, one last no God. Is this helping? Are you with me? Yes. West, Halifax, 930 is a little quiet, making me nervous. Here we go. Number four, this is the other influence that we've got to be aware of as we're forming our idea of who God is. It is our foe. The fact is, I don't know why I did a thing there. Let me do that. The fact is, the Bible says, You aren't just formulating your God through your own experiences, but there are powers and principalities and spirits in this world. And there is a driving spirit, a father, uh, uh, the devil, Satan, who actually is working tirelessly with one main task. The devil is not trying to attack your health, although he will, he's not trying to attack your money. He's not after uh, your, your actions. He's not after, he's not trying to get you to do anything. What he's trying to do is get you to think something. If you read Genesis chapter three, Genesis three, you see where sin enters the world and the serpent comes and what does he do? How does he attack humanity? He doesn't do it with guns, doesn't do it with knives, doesn't do it with brute force. What does he do it with? Ideas. He comes in and he says, "Did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Oh, he's just trying to hold back from you, Eve he's not good. Plants a thought in her mind because he he does this and here's why. Because he knows if I can just plant a thought of deception and I can get you off just by a millimeter from that which is truly true. I heard one one preacher say that Satan's best lie is 99% true. And if I can just get you to miss the mark just, just a little bit, which is the definition of sin. Did you know that? The Greek definition of sin is to miss the mark. If I can make you miss the mark, if I can just get you to t- tweak your thought about God just a little bit, then what you're going to ha- what's gonna happen to you are, is infinite consequence of that miss. You're gonna miss forever and ever and ever. This is how Satan attacks you. Beware of it. He's trying to influence how you think about God. Look at, look at how Paul instructs the Corinthians. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 10. This is huge. Just, just lean in for this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, okay, that's cool. How? Here. Here's here's what we do. We demolish, here's the attack, arguments and every pretension or lofty thought raised up or set up against, say it out loud, the, the knowledge of God. How does the devil attack you? He tries to get you to see God as something other than he is, which is a brilliant attack when you take into account our next thing we've got to keep into account or keep in mind when it comes to forming our, our, our knowledge of God. Another directive to apply It's this. We've got to realize that God fundamentally for us is incomprehensible, incompre, incomprehensible. That's a long word to spell on on a stage. I'm just saying. I think I got it right. All the grammar freaks are like, yep, yep, yep. No, that's wrong. God is actually, for a human being, impossible to wrap our heads around. Lean in with me. I know this. we're doing the deep dive here, but you've got you to go with me. When it comes to formulating your idea of God, and here's why the devil attacks, if he can get you off just a little bit, that's, that's all he needs to set up destruction in your life. He can just get you off the rock. He wants you on the sand, and so he'll do whatever he can. And, and here's the brilliance of it. You and I, left to ourselves, cannot wrap our heads around the eternal God. How can that which is created wrap its head around that which is uncreated? It can't. Here's what Tozer says. I love this quote. When we try to imagine what God is like, we must of necessity use that which is not God as the raw material for our minds. Hence, whatever we visualize God to be, he is not. However you picture God in your mind, you are right now using creative pictures, created pictures to formulate some, someone who is uncreated. He is not, for we have constructed our image out of that which he has made. And what he has made is not God. If we insist on trying to imagine him, we end up with an idol, made not with hands, but with thoughts. And an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. That, that is, that's like mic drop stuff right there, isn't it? So when we think about God, we've got to come to him with a bunch of desperation and humility. It should check you a little bit when you just blindly throw God is statements around. We should be much more humble than that. We gotta come to Him when we formulate our picture of God with humility. We gotta realize like it says in Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We aren't on the same level here. This is not trying like trying to understand one another. It's the it's, we're trying to understand the incomprehensible. So here's the big problem, and here's where I wanted to get you to today. I feel like some of you are struggling here. Just lean in. This is going to help you. We're doing foundation work. None, of, you know what? I can guarantee none of you came here today saying, you know what? I need to do. I need to really tweak my theology right? Like that's, that's not a felt need. When we preach on marriage, you come and you're like, you know, I need some help with my marriage. You preach on money, I need some help with my money. But no one, no one came thinking, my idea of God is really jacked up and I need some help, right? No one did that. But here's the thing, and here's why I want you to lean in. If you get this right, it fixes your marriage. If you get this right, it fixes your money. This is why this matters, and this is why we've got to press into this. But here's the big question based on this. And based on this, here's the big question you and I have got to answer is how can we who are inadequate and limited and small, how can we wrap our heads that which is infinite? and incomprehensible, and magnificent, and holy, and other, and omnipotent, and omniscient? How do, how do we begin to get that right? It's impossible to get that right. This is like what God said to Moses when Moses says, what do I tell, what do I tell the Egyptians your name? Who, who are you? How do I define you? And you know what God said to Moses? I am. AKA, you can't describe me You can't box me in. Don't even try it. And so here's the question. How do we formulate our thinking if it's impossible? God did it for us. here's Here's the third thing. When you and I start framing our theology, we do it through this. incarnation. What is that? For those of you who don't know what it means. Incarnation, or to incarnate, means embodied. And this is what the gospel is. The gospel is this. It says in John chapter 1, for in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. What is that? It's saying that God looked upon us at our problem knowing that it is the knowledge of God that actually allows us to live the life that he designed us to live. We've got to click that into gear but he knew we um, left to ourselves are stuck unable to fight these things unable to fulfill and push these things back. So what he did was he put on flesh himself and he came down and he says you can't know who I am so here I am. You're never going to wrap your head around it. You're never going to know what I think. You're never going to be able to, to know who I am. So what he did was he put on flesh. He took, off, he took away our fear. He, like, he, he confronted our foe. He, he conquers our fears. He becomes the true friend that actually influences us right. He, he deals with our deepest longings and our deepest desires and feelings. He comes and he embodies God. That's what Jesus is. And so here, here's the big takeaway today. Jesus is perfect theology. That was, come on. (laughs) Jesus is perfect theology. This is the great, this is what's so, one of the incredible things about the gospel is that is that God actually said, you'll never know me, but you have to know me. You'll never understand me, but you have to understand me, so here I am. You want to know what God is like, see Jesus. You wanna know what God thinks, see Jesus. You wanna know how God would act, see Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about you, see Jesus. You wanna know how God feels about sin, look at Jesus. You wanna know what God thinks about this issue or that issue, look at Jesus, listen to Jesus. Here he is, there's God, right there in the flesh. That is what the gospel is all about. Listen, God isn't, how amazing, how amazing is it that God didn't want us to just know about him? And he realized there's a difference between knowing about him and actually knowing him. So what did he do? He put on flesh, said, here I am. I want to know you. Touch me, hear me, listen to me, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. That's the gospel. And so as we formulate our theology, we do it through the lens of Christ. Jesus is the base, the basis and the, the lens for our theology. If you hear a concept and someone says, God is this, if you don't see it in Jesus and it's not backed up by the word, then he isn't. If, if you have a thought that says, you know what I think God will want me to do? If you don't see it in Jesus and you don't hear it backed up by the word, this is the word and Jesus is the word. If it's not there, then he doesn't want you to. see so you can know God through Christ. Isn't that amazing? You ever thought of it that way? Like you can know God through Christ. He is God. Look at this. The incarnation allows us to see what God is like. Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. How did God create the world? By his word, by the word. The word was God and the word was with God. He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How amazing is that? You want to start forming your theology, you start and you move and you end with Jesus. The author and the perfecter, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, he guides the whole thing. So as we explore over these next few weeks who God is, it's all going to funnel from and back to the person and work of Jesus. That is our theology. He is our theology. He is the center of it. One more thought, and, I want, uh, and it goes along with this. Jesus said, he said, I am. I am God. He fundamentally said, it's said in John fourteen six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a big statement and something we've got to think through and this, this, this is so important. I'm going to wrap up. Bands, you can come back, all of our locations. I'm almost done, but this is, this is probably the, one of the most crucial parts. Get this, but then you've got to go a step further and, and you've got to deal with something. That if he is I am and he is who he says he is, then what we're talking about here is indisputable. That at a fundamental level, if it's true it's true what i mean by that do you know the greatest threat to the church is not atheism right now it's not people who say there is no god that's not the big threat their focus is much narrower than those who have the, than the biggest threat the big threat right now is not people who believe there is no god it's the people who just believe broadly that They believe in everything. It's relativism. Like right now, one of the great pressures of of our, our culture, one of the great tools of the enemy right now is this idea that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And can't we all just get along? Fundamentally, if we're talking about truth, the answer is no. Is that, is that too hard? It's true. Listen, truth is not relative. Truth cuts. Truth, truth says it is, and that isn't. Truth says, no, this is true, and that is not, and we both can't be true. If something is true, then the other thing is for that same patch of land of truth is not true. And we live in a time that just wants to to kind of float up in the ether and say, that's true, and you be what you want, and you do your truth, and I do my truth. we got to push back against that as a church and say, if something is true, then it really is true. We're not playing games here. Truth is not subjective. Opinions are subjective, correct? Like, the Raptors are the best team in the NBA. Subjective. I can't prove that right now. But the Maple Leafs are always out of the playoffs before we want. Fact. There's a difference between facts and opinions. And the the day and age we live in are trying to talk about truth as opinion. But truth is not opinion. Truth is authoritative. So let me press this back on you and hear the invitation of Jesus. If he is who he says he is, you have to make a decision. And you have to draw a line in the sand and say, I am stepping onto the rock and I am fastening my whole life into this. And I know it's gonna cost me some things. I know, I know, I know there's some things that come with that, but I can't, I can't straddle it. I can't kind of take a piece of that and keep a foot in the sand and try to, try to take a little bit. Look, if you put half the foundation on the rock and half the foundation on the sand, the whole thing's coming undone. You gotta get all the way in, all the way on. Jesus says, I am who I say I am. I either am or I'm not. You decide. I just wanted to, with this series, give you a sense of urgency to not just get sucked into the, the buffet line of ideologies that are in our culture. It's like we live in some philosophical golden corral and we're just like, oh, will take a little bit of that. I'll take a little bit of Eastern mysticism. mysticism. And oh yeah, that looks Eckhart Tolle. Okay, and uh, your crystals are really good for your chakra. And like, 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 people are just slapping the dumbest crap on the plate. For real, y'all. Like some people, and it's in the church. Let me just rant, I'm gonna rant. I just feel like ranting. It's in the church. You just take on ideologies that aren't of Christ, they aren't biblical, and you're just, you're just kind of balling it all up into this lie. And Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life, I'm the truth and it will set you free, but you have got to free yourself from the lies that you have come to believe. And the answer is in Jesus. I want you to stand, I'm gonna pray, all of our locations, West, Halifax, I'll ask you two questions. Some of you, Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Some of you need to ask Jesus over these next few weeks, like, I want to know you. I don't want to know you vicariously through my pastor. I don't want to know you vicariously through my wife or through my friend. I want to actually know you. And We need to pray that God will reveal himself to us over these coming weeks. Do you know, here's the thing, and here's the danger of doing a theology class. And I've met theologians that I would say, this is true. It's possible to know all the right stuff about who God is and yet not know him at all. I've sat under the teaching of some great theologians where I'm left thinking, do you even know the one you're talking about? Because other than your head knowledge, there's no evidence, there's no love of Christ, there's no fruit, by the fruit you'll know. And so we need to ask the Lord as we kind of try to shave off and press back against some things that we just blindly accepted and ask God to show us the truth. We need to do it that we wouldn't just get head knowledge, but there'd be heart revelation. That we'd actually experience Him. That we'd get to know Him. And for, for the rest of you that, that maybe you're still kind of straddling the line, I just want to press and say everything can't be true. Everything can't be true. Gravity No one thinks about gravity as subjective, do you? Like, no one's like, hey, gravity's true for you, man. Yeah. When we're talking about universal things like God, it all can't be true. And I want to suggest to you, see Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your truth. Thank you that with all the potential confusion that we could have in trying to figure out who you are, you've given us yourself in the form of your son, Jesus. Thank you today that we aren't hopeless and left to ourselves and try to untangle ourselves from the lies of the enemy who tries to block us from the knowledge of God, but Jesus, you came down and you revealed yourself and you tore down every stronghold and you taught us and showed us who you are, who God is. And so Father, I pray over these coming weeks as we explore the greatness and the kindness and the power and the mercy and the love and and the intelligence and all the amazing things about who you are, God, I pray that we would see it so clearly in who you are, Jesus. And, And that like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that as we with unveiled faith, Basis, contemplate Your glory; that You would lead us from glory to ever increasing glory, from strength to strength. Lord, I pray that over these coming weeks, as we look closer at who You are, Jesus, that we would begin to radiate Your glory, as You are the exact representation and radiation of the glory of God. That that would get in us and get on us, and it would change us from the inside out. It would change our thinking; it would transform and renew our minds, and it would change the patterns of our lives. And we pray this in the power, in the might of the Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.